Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member special access to cool events behind the scenes footage and so much more plus you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon it's in you please be in it visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now that's podcast with an s thanks from kqed From KQED in San Francisco, I'm Mina Kim. Coming up on Forum, we sit down with Los Angeles Congressmember Adam Schiff, who is running to succeed Dianne Feinstein as California's next senator. He's known as a key antagonist to former President Trump for leading the first impeachment trial and the Russian election interference investigation. But Schiff says he's not just the guy that stood up to Donald Trump. We'll learn more about Schiff's positions on the economy, the war in Ukraine, and his personal story. What do you want to ask Adam Schiff about why he wants to represent California in the Senate? Join us after this news. Welcome to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. L.A. Democrat Congressman Adam Schiff is running to be California's next senator, announcing his run before Dianne Feinstein announced her retirement. A former federal prosecutor, Schiff chaired the House Intelligence Committee during the Trump administration and led the former president's first impeachment trial. He was also a member of the House Committee investigating the January 6th insurrection. As part of our series focusing on the candidates in the Senate race, Representative Adam Schiff sits down with us to take your questions about what he wants to do for California if elected senator. Welcome back to Forum, Congressman Adam Schiff. Thank you. It's great to be with you. We last spoke to you in January, not long after the January 6th committee issued its final report. And before these recent indictments that came down, you had urged federal prosecutors to investigate your committee's findings for a long time. It's happening now. What's your assessment of how these cases are being handled? I think all of us that served on the January 6th committee uh, feel that the work of the Justice Department, more recently of the grand jury in Georgia, really affirms the findings that we made. Uh, So many of the witnesses and the evidence that we produced has been relied upon in these indictments. Uh, And while this is going to put our country through a real trial, uh, a test of our democracy, a test of the proposition that we've all believed in and advocated but never really had to test in this way that the rule of law applies to everyone uh, and people are equal before the law, um, that will be a tumultuous test, but all all the same, such a necessary one. Because the alternative uh, would be a situation where if you're the president of the United States uh, and you lose your reelection and you seek to break the law and violate the Constitution to stay in power, Uh, If you're successful, you're president potentially for life. Uh, And if you fail, there's no repercussion. Uh, If that were the case, then that would certainly be the end of our democracy. So this trial we're going to go through, 
uh, is a necessary one, even as it's going to be a tumultuous uh, time for the country. So that is what you see, basically, that this would be the end of our democracy if our rule of law is not held up in these cases? Yes, or if the Justice Department decided that they were effectively going to immunize the former president by not uh, investigating him, by not uh, doing what Merrick Garland promised at the outset, which was to follow the evidence wherever it leads. Uh, It led to Donald Trump, uh, and having led to Donald Trump, uh, they could not turn away from it. And I think one of the contributions that our committee made was putting that evidence out before the American people, uh, providing that accountability, but also requiring the Justice Department to do justice. You put it out before the American people, but uh, the former president is skipping tonight's GOP primary debate because of his incredibly commanding lead in the polls as of this moment. What do you make of the fact that Republican voters overwhelmingly support him regardless of these indictments? Well, I, uh, sadly, I think this is the state of the Republican Party. Uh, too many of the Republican leadership uh, are completely subservient to Donald Trump. Uh, Kevin McCarthy, for example, uh, his whole ambition is to remain speaker for another day, another week. That requires him to uh, pay obeisance to Donald Trump uh, and in the process to tear down the Justice Department, to tear down the FBI. Uh, Mitch McConnell has made similar uh, uh, compromises uh, of his devotion to our democracy and to his oath of office uh, to support and defend Donald Trump above all else. Uh, And that has resulted in this kind of stranglehold that Donald Trump has on the Republican Party because people are not willing to stand up to him in positions of leadership. Uh, This gets me to, you know, one of the broad conclusions uh, of the last six years for me, and that is something that uh, the historian Robert Carroll once said, power doesn't corrupt as much as it reveals. And it has revealed a lot of people to be uh, utterly craven. Um, It has revealed a few like Liz Cheney and Adam Kinzinger, to be people of great courage and conviction. But sadly, they have been far too few in the GOP. And uh, for that reason, Donald Trump remains their party leader, notwithstanding his uh, rampant uh, legal problems uh, and his patent unfitness for office. I've also heard you say that our economy, people's economic situations, enabled a demagogue to rise to power, to come along. What do you mean by that? What do you think are the core issues related to our economy that need to be addressed? Uh, This is very much the case and really the central part of my campaign, and that is that the economy is simply not working for millions of people. And I think when that's the case, when people start to see the quality of their life uh, slip below that of their parents or have profound concerns about their kids, uh, they start to entertain entertain thoughts of a demagogue who comes along and promises that they alone can fix things. The problem today uh, is not that people aren't working. Uh, the problem today is that people are working, and they're still not making enough to get by. And we see this most acutely in the form of homelessness. But for millions and millions uh, who aren't homeless, they nonetheless can't afford to live anywhere near where they work. Uh, their housing costs, their health care costs are stretching them to the limit. They're just one car problem, one health problem away from failure. Uh, And it's not that people aren't working. They're working harder than ever. Some are holding down two and three jobs. But uh, the economy has changed. Uh, I think policymakers have left workers behind. Uh, We have fewer households represented by labor and therefore fewer households that have a retirement plan or health benefits. Uh, A lot of this is the, the result of 
not just seismic changes in the economy, but uh, but sometimes benign neglect, sometimes malignant neglect, uh, sometimes outright hostility by policymakers uh, to working families, and that's got to change, and that's really my focus. Well, let me invite listeners to join the conversation. What would you like to ask Congressman Adam Schiff about his record, what he wants to accomplish as senator? What qualities would you like to see in California's next senator? You can contact Forum by emailing forum at kqed.org, posting on our social channels at KQED Forum, or by giving us a call, 866-733-6786, 6786. Nick writes, for example, why is Mr. Schiff a better candidate than Katie Porter, who I'm planning to vote for? I believe she will fight for a more just society. I'm open to voting for him, but I just don't believe he'll fight for economic equality like Katie Porter has. I would add that if Senator, what would you do to address what you just pointed to as the most pressing issues for Californians, homelessness, housing affordability? Well, first of all, I've got two great colleagues who are also running for Congress in Barbara Lee and Katie Porter. Uh, We're all progressive, but I think the principal difference uh, I would draw is who has a record of making progress? Who actually gets things done? It's not enough to be progressive. You have to be able to make progress. Uh, I'm very proud of uh, a record of effectiveness, of passing a patient's bill of rights here in California over the vehement opposition of the health insurance industry of building mass transit, of building an early earthquake warning system, of bringing back millions to find shelter for people who are homeless, uh, of passing legislation to protect the freedom of the press and to attack the problem of nuclear proliferation. No one running in this race has the same record of actually getting stuff done, getting things accomplished. That's the record I want to bring. Uh, And because I have been such a vigorous champion of working people, of trying to address these economic disparities, this this, uh, unconscionable gulf uh, between rich and poor and the growing stress in the middle class. It's why I'm the only candidate to have the support of five statewide labor organizations. None of the other candidates have the support of even a single statewide labor organization. Uh, Also proud to have the support of leaders, progressive leaders like Nancy Pelosi uh, and more than half of the California House Democrats because they know my record. uh, And they're looking for what Californians are looking for, and that is who can actually get things done in the Senate? Uh, who will attack the problem of homelessness and build more housing and find shelter for people? Uh, who has experience in dealing with public safety issues and uh, can deal with rising public safety concerns? That's the record I have, and I think that's what distinguishes me from my colleagues. Uh, there's a lot we can do to make the economy work for people. Uh, during the pandemic, I fought to more than double the child tax credit, uh, along with many of my colleagues. We succeeded. That lifted 40% of the kids who are living in poverty in this country out of poverty. Uh, When the Republicans refused to extend it, though, millions fell right back into poverty. But this should tell us something. It should tell us that some of these answers are as simple as a single change in the tax code and making it more progressive. Uh, But it also should tell us these are policy choices that have resulted uh, in this uh, state of our economy where so many working people are left behind. Uh, I've got a good track record of getting things done on this, and that's what I'm running on. One of the other things that distinguishes you is the fact that you have been a prime target of Republicans, and you will need Republican or alliances with some Republicans to be able to get the legislation, the, the ideas and plans that you have to improve the lives of Californians adopted. And so I wonder, you know, can you work across the aisle? You've talked about a high degree of dysfunction in 
the House. You've definitely been very critical of the leadership of Kevin McCarthy. What is a recent example of you working across the aisle? Well, they're numerous. Uh, I've worked across the aisle to get uh, legislation passed to more than double the size of one of the nation's most heavily utilized uh, parks, the the Santa Monica Mountains National Recreation Area. We got that passed. The study bill passed when George W. Bush was president. We got it funded when Obama was president. We got the study undertaken while Trump was president. We got it passed in the House of Representatives. We got it passed in the Resources Committee in the Senate. Uh, the light rail system I built was on a bipartisan basis. The early earthquake warning system I got funded was on a bipartisan basis. The intelligence uh, bills passed out of our committee were always bipartisan. Uh, I was able to get that done even when Devin Nunes was my ranking member and even when Devin Nunes was the chairman of the committee. Uh, one of my closest partners in funding NASA uh, was a conservative Texan named John Culberson. You have to be able to compartmentalize to get things done, uh, and I've been able to do that. But here's the other thing. Um, California expects a leader, uh, not somebody on, sitting on the sidelines of the fight. Uh, and if you're a leader, you're going to make powerful enemies. Uh, Franklin Roosevelt once said that there are times in our history where you can judge a person by the enemies they have made. And by that standard, I'm doing pretty damn well. Uh, <laughs> and it would have been much easier, I have to say, uh, like some of my colleagues, to sit on the sidelines, let somebody else take on this fight, let somebody else take on MAGA world and all the death threats that come with it. I was not about to sit on the sidelines. Um, I'm proud of what I've done. Uh, I'm going to continue to fight to get things done, but I'm also going to continue to fight to protect our democracy because we are still very much in danger. And you feel like the Senate is the place that you can do that more effectively than the House. We're coming up on a break, but just 30 seconds. Yes, the House is, is sadly a basket case uh, mm. under the GOP leadership. Uh, we're going to be lucky if we can even keep the government running. Um, we were lucky to avoid a default on our debt, uh, a vote that I supported and my two colleagues opposed. Yes. Um, but I think it would have been irresponsible to let our economy go over the cliff. Um, but the Senate is the place, I think, where I can get more done. Uh, it's still a place, I think, where there is more opportunity for bipartisan work, and I look forward to that challenge. We're talking with Congressman Adam Schiff, who represents California's 30th district in Burbank and a candidate for U.S. Senate. More with him after the break. Stay with us. I'm Mina Kim. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. You're listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. We're talking this hour with 12-term Congress member Adam Schiff. He's the former chair of the House Intelligence Committee, former member of the Select Committee investigating the January 6th investigation. His recent book is Midnight in Washington, How We Almost Lost Our Democracy and Still Could. 
He's running for U.S. Senate, and this is your chance to ask him the questions that you've been wondering about at 866-733-6786 by emailing forum at kqed.org or posting on our social channels at KQED Forum, Facebook, Instagram, Discord. That's where you can find us. Just before the break, you were calling the House a basket case. And in June, House Republicans voted to censure you for looking into ties between the former president and Russia. And I'm just curious what reaction you had to your censure. It is a rare tool that is used in cases of corruption and serious unethical conduct, and it was used in your case. It was, and uh, it was a resolution introduced by a Florida representative who was essentially an unknown commodity in the House uh, as a way of aggrandizing herself and getting the attention of Donald Trump, because for so many of the Republican members, it's all about how can I be the next Marjorie Taylor Greene or the next Lauren Boebert? Um, but the you know the sad thing is, as you point out, uh, censure is a serious resolution which historically has been used for misconduct, not used for political attacks. But this was a partisan political attack, uh, and it was necessary again for Kevin McCarthy to remain speaker another day to accede to a vote on censure. And the first time it came up, it failed. About one out of every 10 Republicans thought it was too crazy even for them. Uh, But then Donald Trump uh, put out a statement saying any Republican who votes against censuring Adam Schiff is going to be primary challenged. Uh, And they folded like a tent. Uh, But, you know, something really remarkable happened when they brought this uh, stunt to the House floor. And that is almost every Democrat in the Democratic caucus uh, joined me on the House floor. The way it's supposed to work is the censure person stands in the well um, to face, sort of face the music, to get their scarlet letter. Um, But before I could even move into the well, the Democratic caucus as a whole moved into the well uh, to stand around me and turned quite spontaneously to Kevin McCarthy in the speaker's chair and started started shouting at him, shame, shame, shame. And as I told the members, you know, having earned the enmity of the MAGA crowd um, is an honor uh, because it means I've been effective. They don't go after people they don't consider effective. Um, and the former president uh, and his enablers consider me a very effective adversary. And uh, look, we're going to continue to go through some really challenging, trying times. Uh, and we need a champion in the Senate who's not afraid of a fight when a fight is necessary. And uh, I was called upon to serve in some key responsibilities. I was called upon to serve on the Benghazi Committee. Uh, during that uh, horrible experience in our history uh, to represent the Democratic caucus. I was asked again to lead the investigation in the first impeachment of Donald Trump to the first bipartisan vote uh, to impeach a president. I was asked to serve on the January 6th committee, and I accepted these responsibilities and uh, very proud to have served on that committee and to, to uh, to have brought the former president's misconduct to light. Let me go to some calls. Paula in San Francisco, you're on. Hi. Um, I want to know what um, Congressman Schiff is going to do about health care. I really believe that health care is at the center of a lot of challenges that middle class people face economically and what small businesses face and even larger companies face as far as um, costs. Yeah, I I support uh, universal health care. I support uh, Medicare for all. I think everyone should have the opportunity 
to participate in Medicare. And uh, I think that's uh, the most efficient thing we could do to make sure that there's health care, quality health care accessible to everyone. Back when we took up the Affordable Care Act, I was a very vocal proponent of a public option. Um, We didn't get that included, uh, which I think was a terrible missed opportunity. That would have been the most powerful downward driver on costs of anything in the Affordable Care Act. Um, the, the, the fact is the, the workplace has changed. We have not kept up with these changes in the workplace. Uh, you know, in my father's generation, my parents' generation, uh, my father was a clothing salesman. Uh, his income when I was a kid was 18000 a year. My folks bought their first home. Uh, for $18,000 on the strength of that single income. Imagine today trying to buy a house, uh, let alone get health care for the annual income of a clothing salesman. It would be impossible. Uh, And what's more, people don't work for the same firm their whole life. Uh, And oftentimes the work they do in the gig economy doesn't even provide health care. We need to make sure that health care is universal, that health care travels with you wherever you move in the country, whatever job you have in the country. uh, It has to be accessible and affordable. I've been spending a lot of time in the Central Valley in California, and rural hospitals there are in in a state of collapse. The hospital in Madera shut down, uh, and as a result, people have already died because they can't get to a hospital on time. Uh, so there are other challenges in other parts of the state in terms of rural America and rural California. We have to dramatically increase reimbursements under Medicaid and under Medicare. We also have to uh, open up more slots uh, in our medical schools uh, for the training of more physicians. We need more nurses. Uh, we need more supply of health care if we're going to bring down the cost of health care. As a senator, would you fight for a statute establishing the right to abortion care, the right to an abortion? Uh, absolutely. And, and this is another sign of a democracy that's in trouble when you start to lose rights instead of gaining them. And the Dobbs decision and stripping away the reproductive freedom of millions was a terrible uh, tragedy for this country and puts the health care of millions deeply at risk. I'm proud to co-sponsor legislation in the House establishing a national right to abortion. What's more, uh, I'm one of the leading authors in the House, along with Hank Johnson, of a uh, bill to expand the size of the Supreme Court. Uh, The Supreme Court is not a conservative court. Conservative court would have some respect for precedent. This is a reactionary court with a reactionary social agenda. Uh, passing legislation is one thing, and it's vitally necessary. Making sure it's not struck down by the court is another necessity. Uh, and I have been proud to support uh, and champion the effort in the House to restore reproductive freedom, uh, supporting Judy Chu's important bill. Uh, but I also believe um, if we're going to make sure that other rights don't fall, uh, reproductive freedom may just have been the first right to fall, that we need to change the court. Uh, Mitch McConnell packed and stacked the court. Uh, And unless we're going to subject uh, an entire generation uh, to a loss of their rights, I have two kids that are in their 20s. I don't want them living their whole adult life under a reactionary Supreme Court. We have to change the court. I think there should be term limits. I think there should be an expansion of the court to rebalance it. Uh, And I damn well think there needs to be a code of ethics for the Supreme Court. (laughs) We are talking with Congressman Adam Schiff, who is running to be California's next senator, and so are you by posting on our social channels, Facebook in 
Instagram Discord, Roque on Discord writes, I absolutely admire Representative Schiff, and I'm grateful for the work he has done, especially in the last few years. But given the broader context, I will vote for a female candidate. The Senate needs more women senators, and California has great candidates. Congressman Katie Porter has says, she said, you need someone who knows the struggle of being a middle-class working mom of young kids in this economy. Barbara Lee says you need someone with the lived experience of a black woman who's survived domestic violence and illegal abortion is willing to vote their conscience as she did after 9-11. What personal experiences really inform your politics, the kinds of legislation that you pursue uh, you know, my life experience uh, in my family, I'm married with two children. Uh, the struggles that we have encountered, uh, the uh, forces that we have had to face uh, in uh, the kind of hate-filled universe of the MAGA world mm-hmm. have really uh, steeled my determination to fight back, to push for rights, uh, to make sure that we restore reproductive freedom, uh, to be a champion, uh, as I was mentioning earlier, of Uh, more than doubling the child tax credit to lift children out of poverty. I've also made a key component of my campaign uh, the need to have affordable, accessible child care with legislation to expand uh, salaries for child care workers to provide greater tax incentives for the more production of child care. I also think that uh, uh, voters will consider, uh, as they should, issues of race and issues of gender. But I think they're also going to consider issues of leadership, uh, issues of track record and who can actually get things done. Uh, you know, all of our life experiences are important. But it's also important that we have the experience of getting things done, uh, of being able to pass legislation to improve uh, the situation for children, for women, for men. Uh, I want to represent each and every community in the state. It's why I've been uh, traveling throughout California and have earned the support now of um, literally hundreds of state, federal, and local elected officials Uh, Many of them women, many of them people of color. Some of them uh, are most ardent uh, advocates of diversity, uh, people like Speaker Nancy Pelosi. And I think the reason why we have uh, so many uh, people supporting me in the California House delegation, I have more women supporting me in that delegation than supporting my two colleagues, is because they're not only looking for someone who will be a great champion of women and children, but they're looking for someone who has a track record of actually getting things done for women and children. Uh, And that's the strength I bring. Well, let me go next to caller Larry in Belmont. Hi, Larry. You're on. I first say thank you so much, Congressman Schiff, for saving our democracy. You are one of a group, and it was a small group that actually has saved our democracy up to this point, and we're still in danger. Um, and, and three superb uh, people going for the Senate. I, I can't, I'm almost 80, and I, I voted in every election since I was able to. I've never seen such a fine group of people uh, going for the Senate in California. But here's my question. Four constitutional scholars have now come out and said that Trump is not eligible to serve as president of the United States and should not be on the ballots. So we've had that from the scholars. Now, how do we how do we actually make that happen? How, is there some kind of action that can be taken to stop getting him on the ballots? He cannot run. That's my question. Yes, uh, and, and and of course, what you're referring to is uh, the Fourteenth Amendment in Section Three, which 
for listeners, this is a provision of our Constitution that says that if you have taken an oath of office and you subsequently engage in an act of insurrection or rebellion, uh, that you are disqualified, or if you give aid and comfort to those who are enemies of the Constitution, you're disqualified from holding office ever again. Um, that is a perfect description for Donald Trump. Um, he should be disqualified from running for office. Uh, I was uh, strenuously uh, urging on the January 6th committee that we refer Donald Trump to the Justice Department uh, for a variety of potential charges, including insurrection. Now, they didn't choose to indict him for insurrection, and I think that was uh, a very reasonable decision by the prosecutors. The role of Congress uh, in referral is a different role than that of a prosecutor in making charging decisions. But it's not necessary that he be charged with insurrection to be disqualified. It's not necessary that he be convicted. You only need to be charged and convicted of something if you're going to have your liberty taken away. Uh, he's not going to have his liberty taken away by the 14th Amendment. Uh, it is a qualification or a disqualification, just as age can be a qualification or disqualification for running for president. Uh, the way this, I think, will play out is that secretaries of state in a state or multiple states will decline to put Donald Trump on the ballot because he's disqualified, just as if he were not old enough to run for president. Um, that will be challenged in court. Uh, if a secretary doesn't remove him from the ballot, that will be challenged in court. Uh, I suspect it will go to the Supreme Court. There, I'm less optimistic. Uh, and you're certainly right. There are a number of very conservative uh, constitutional scholars who have agreed with many progressive constitutional scholars that he should be disqualified. Yes. But it is also hard for me to imagine the Supreme Court um, making that decision. And, and I think that we ought to plan with a cons conservative expectation that Trump is likely to be their nominee, as catastrophic as that is, and that we are going to have to defeat him again at the polls. Uh, it may very well be that disqualification uh, is successful, but it may be that it isn't. Uh, and I wouldn't want to put all of our hopes on that. I think uh, we need to prudently expect that it will be the citizens of this country using their civic responsibility that protect our, our country from the reemergence of a, a dangerous demagogue like Donald Trump. Well, Jeffrey wants to know, I believe that no one, including a sitting president, is above the law, but prosecution of a sitting president is currently forbidden, not due to the Constitution, not even by law, but due to a legal opinion written some decades ago by an unelected Justice Department lawyer. If elected to the Senate, will you sponsor a bill to invalidate that legal opinion so that the rule of law for presidents will be restored? I would be happy to support uh, a bill to reverse these uh, Office of Legal Counsel opinions. Um, a bill is not necessary if you have the right attorney general. And if you have the wrong attorney general, they will ignore a bill because they will take the legal position that Congress lacks the power uh, to say otherwise. And so there's no substitute for having the right person in the Oval Office and the right person in the attorney general's office. Uh, I came up against this in the Ukraine investigation when the Office of Legal Counsel essentially issued opinions saying that notwithstanding that the law says a whistleblower complaint shall be provided to Congress, shall doesn't really mean shall. It means if you feel like it, if you want to, maybe. Um, so believe me, uh, I am no fan of what the Office of Legal Counsel did in the last administration, but, but I, I'm not sure that a legal remedy will be enough. Um, I will say this also. Uh, there are some who are claiming that Donald Trump is absolutely immune from prosecution. Um, that is certainly not true. Uh, I also don't believe that Donald Trump could pardon himself, even if somehow he were elected president again. 
because of the well-established constitutional principle that you don't interpret one provision of the Constitution uh, in such a way as to nullify whole other sections of the Constitution. If a president could engage in illegal conduct to maintain their position in office uh, they would, uh, and could pardon themselves or immunize themselves, then it would negate the whole rest of the Constitution. And as Justice Jackson once said so, so powerfully, the Constitution is not a suicide pact. It doesn't require interpretations that would essentially uh, bring about the end of its existence. We've got full lines and comments. Tom and Las Gattis, you're on. Hey, thank you uh, for taking my call. And it's been just a superb program, I have to uh, say. Uh, yeah, I was listening to a national news program last night, and uh, the commentator said that President Biden has given more aid and is promising more aid to Ukraine to, on a per capita basis uh, than he's given and promised uh, to the people of uh, Maui who suffered the uh, effects of the recent wildfire. And is this uh, indication that the Ukrainian war, uh, the people of Ukraine is, and their foreign policy is far more important uh, than domestic policy? Mm. So it's really putting foreign policy and really a suicidal war, uh, border war with Russia ahead of uh, the welfare of, of Americans. Well, uh, you know, sounds like, greatly. thank you. Thank you, Tom. It sounds like Tom wants to know what your position is on Ukraine. I know you've been a strong proponent of American support for Ukraine. Um, but of course, at this time, there are questions about whether or not things are at a stalemate. Uh, do you at this point want to expand aid? Do you see setting limits or conditions on what we're providing Ukraine? Uh, I'm a, a strong supporter of providing military assistance and economic assistance to the people of Ukraine. And I don't think it's a choice. I don't think we can allow it to be a choice about whether we can make a, uh, a vast and important investment in our own people uh, or whether we can support the democratic uh, aspirations uh, of uh, people around the world. I think we have to be able to do both. Uh, we committed to Ukraine that if they gave up their nuclear weapons, and they had a lot of them in the post-Soviet period, that we would help assure their territorial integrity. Uh, Ukrainians are fighting, uh, and they did, and they did, and uh, they're fighting now for their their sovereignty, their democracy, uh, their right of self-determination, uh, and if Russia can be successful in remaking the map of Europe by using military force, it will be an encouragement to other nations. It'll be a further encouragement to Turkey and Azerbaijan uh, to remake the map in the Caucasus by invading Armenia. It'll be an encouragement to President Xi uh, in terms of invading Taiwan. Um, so there are huge repercussions in the United States, but I, I fully agree that we need a much more uh, uh, vigorous investment in our own infrastructure. More after the break with Adam Schiff. Stay with us. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. 
Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Congressman Adam Schiff is running to be California's next senator, and you listeners get to decide as voters. And here's your opportunity to ask the congressman questions at 866-733-6786 by posting on our social channels at KQED Forum by emailing forum at kqed.org. Fred in San Jose, join us. You're on. I'm very much impressed by you and your record. And I'd like to hear what you think of a proposal to meet two of our biggest challenges, global warming and inequality. My proposal is a carbon tax with some of the proceeds from that tax being used to help the disadvantaged and the middle class. Mm. Fred, thank you. What do you think? Uh, You know, I think a carbon tax is probably among the most uh, efficient ways to attack uh, climate change uh, and also to create the right incentives uh, for people to use non-polluting sources of energy. And I've been very proud to support a Green New Deal. Before there was a Green New Deal, I was very proud to advocate for an Apollo project-like effort to wean ourselves off of fossil fuels. Uh, Whether the the proceeds of such a tax would go to – uh, investing in renewable sources of energy and would be focused on those issues or would be focused on addressing uh, the needs of low-income individuals. I think you could probably do some combination of both. Um, they, uh, I think one of the principal advantages, uh, in addition to saving our planet, uh, the, the most existential crisis of them all, uh, is that a green economy could provide a lot of good, good-paying jobs, good long-term jobs, for people to help lift people out of poverty. And so uh, I think uh, a, a vigorous green energy platform uh, like mine uh, is a, an answer economically. It's an answer to uh, trying to address some of the disparity uh, in wealth and make sure that people can earn a good living. Uh, but, but mostly it helps us get ahead of the tipping point. Uh, if we make the kind of rapid investments uh, in renewable energy, if we stop incentivizing the fossil fuel industry, and I've got a windfall profits tax on the oil industry, uh, legislation I've introduced um, as a way of uh, discouraging and and not further incentivizing uh, these industries that are killing us and killing the planet. Um, So I I think that's a really interesting uh, and innovative uh, proposal in terms of how those funds would be used, and I would be certainly open to it. Um, but uh, from my point of view, we can't uh, move um, uh, too strongly uh, to wean ourselves off of fossil fuels. And we have to, as we do, make sure that those who are in those industries, the working people in those industries, um, have good incomes uh, and they're protected and they're helped uh, in terms of moving on to other uh, productive jobs. But this is vital for saving the planet. Well, Pete writes, Schiff gets my vote. He's leagues deeper than the others, and his intention to work to expand the court is necessary now. Another listener writes, I'm a great supporter of Adam Schiff, as well as Barbara Lee and Katie Porter. I have read criticism of Schiff as not being progressive enough. Rather than make that case, which I feel he is addressing, I would be very interested in hearing how and where he is along the progressive and old-school conservative spectrum that would foster greater accord across the aisle and perhaps even allow him to move the needle in the center toward more progressive legislation. I, I I feel I'm a very progressive uh, legislator, and I think if you look at my record, um, really if you look at all of our records that are running in this race, they're 
uh, with one or within one or two percentage points of each other. Um, so I think we have a very similar voting record. Again, I think the principal difference is who's been able to make progress, uh, who's been able to get things done. And uh, that's, I think, where the principal distinction is. Um, but I would say this also. Um, prior to the advent of Donald Trump, uh, I don't think anyone would have pointed to me as being a lightning rod. Um, I had a reputation for being able to get things done, uh, being able to work with people of varying view, viewpoints. Uh, certainly, the, the the attacks I've had for MAGA world have um, been very prominent, and it comes with the territory of doing your job. But it hasn't stopped me from working across the aisle and getting things done. Um, as I was mentioning, I had to work with Devin Nunes to get the Intelligence Committee bills done, to establish new privacy protections, new civil liberties protections, to fund the agencies to make sure they were talking to each other in the right way and not talking to each other in the wrong way. Uh, and we managed to do that work on a bipartisan basis, notwithstanding our very public fights uh, over Russia and Ukraine and the Trump administration. And that's what you have to do. You have to be willing to compartmentalize. During the impeachment trial, I had Republican senators coming up to me to tell me what a great job I was doing. Um, one of the things that attracts me about the Senate is the opportunity to get things done because I think their, their relationships are even more important to getting things done. And uh, and I have uh, the ability to form those relationships to get things done. It's why so many of my colleagues are supporting me, because I have been able to build those partnerships. And the reality is, in the Congress, you are one of 435 in the House, one of 100 in the Senate. You can't get things done if you can't work with other people. Uh, and I have a good record of working with other people to get things done. You do frequently vote, similarly with Barbara Lee and Katie Porter. There were a couple of places that you diverged, one of them you mentioned already with regard to the fact that both Lee and Porter did not support raising the debt ceiling because of concessions that were made to Republicans that cut some public assistance programs, some environmental regulations, but you went ahead and felt that we needed to do that. They also did not support the defense spending bill, the defense authorization. Lee has said it's bloated and unaccountable. You supported that as well. So talk a little bit about why you diverge from the two of them in those ways, on those specific issues? Uh, you know, I've voted against a number of the defense bills, uh, so it would really depend on the defense bill, uh, where uh, we have sought uh, funding uh, even in excess of what the president wants, uh, or well, whether it was the president's level, but I thought it was too much, I have opposed it. The other times where I have supported it. Um, but I, So I look at these issues uh, individually, and I don't treat them all the same. Uh, I have, I think, fairly consistently supported reductions in the defense budget uh, and supported amendments to uh, make uh, 10% cuts or other responsible cuts to the defense budget. But on the budget uh, deal that President Biden negotiated, um, it would have been easy to vote against it. Voting against it is almost always the safe political vote. But it would have not been responsible. Um, it would have caused our nation to default. It would cause the dollar to collapse. It would have cost uh, six million retirees in California um, uh, not getting their uh, Social Security or uh, payments on time. Uh, it would have cost hundreds of thousands, if not millions, of job losses. Uh, and it's just never been an appealing argument to me to say, I voted against it because I knew there were enough people who were going to vote for it. Uh, to me, that's kind of an argument that says I could do the thing that wasn't responsible because there were enough people to do the responsible thing. Uh, I'm going to do the responsible thing to keep the government open. To, to meet our, our obligations, uh, uh, to our credit uh, worthiness. Um, 
That doesn't make me non-progressive, but it does mean I'm there to solve problems for people. Uh, I want to get housing built. Uh, I want to make sure that we increase the supply of housing. I want to make sure that we're vigorous in getting people off the street uh, and that we get them the, the mental health care services and the substance abuse treatment. Uh, I want to attack the, the problem of these uh, flash mob crimes and raising concerns about public safety. Uh, and uh, and, and uh, these are the problems that I'm focused on. Um, I've been able to get uh, clean water legislation passed in the Congress. Uh, I've been able to get funding to take hexavalent chromium out of our water. Um, these are good progressive policies, but you know, if you can't get it done, you know, then, then I don't know how you can, can, uh, make the case. And so, um, very proud of my record. Uh, and I, uh, I, I have two wonderful colleagues also, um, but I'm running on my record. Well, Ryan asks, as a Jewish Californian, I am concerned about Israel, and particularly about the ongoing slide toward authoritarianism there. I do not support the Israeli occupation of Palestine nor expansion of Israeli settlements. You have been a strong supporter of Israel, but also critical of Netanyahu's disrespect of law and democracy. Where do you stand now on Israel, and will you amend your stance on American support of Israeli militarism given the way that country is now being led? I have expressed my concerns about the policies of the Netanyahu government. Uh, I've expressed my concerns, profound concerns, over the composition of his cabinet uh, and some of the members of that cabinet. Uh, but I've also tried to be respectful of the fact that this is a relationship between two states. Uh, and even as I disagree with some of the policies, uh, many of the policies of the Netanyahu government, um, I would not have had people abandon the United States because Donald Trump was our president. Uh, I think the relationship is a key relationship in terms of our values, our national security, and that relationship should continue notwithstanding who's in the prime minister's office or who's in the presidency. Um, that's not going to stop me from speaking out when I think that uh, policies are moving us away from a two-state solution. A two-state solution, to me, is the only thing that makes any sense. Uh, I've used my opportunities as the chair of the Intelligence Committee and my inter interactions with top Israeli officials, including prime ministers, multiple prime ministers, to make the case for a two-state solution, to talk about what I think is constructive or not constructive in terms of moving uh, towards a two-state solution. I'm going to continue to do that, even as I champion democracy in Israel. Um, I'm, I am proud to champion democracy in Israel. Uh, and I'm not abashed about expressing my concerns for laws that might strip the judiciary of the power uh, as a vital check and balance uh, in Israel, uh, even as I'm uh, particularly mindful of our own challenges to our democracy here at home and how we have lost a lot of our standing and the ability to, to proselytize about how other countries handle their democracy. Um, but I'm going to continue to speak out about issues that concern me in terms of the policies of, of any particular Israeli administration, uh, even as I continue to support the relationship, con continue to support the security for the people of Israel, um, because I think that's also uh, vitally necessary. We're hearing Congressmember Adam Schiff's positions on foreign policy, climate, housing, the economy. He's running to be U.S. Senator for California. He's now a Democrat representing California's 30th district in Burbank, Los Angeles, greater L.A. area. You, our listeners, are joining the conversation, and you are listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim.
Richard writes, immigration reform is so necessary and yet always seems impossible. Is there any way forward? There is a way forward. Um, Sadly, uh, we are not going to get help from the Republicans on immigration reform. I think we have to accept that. Um, The Republicans believe the border is the political gift that will not stop giving. Uh, And if we're going to solve this, if we're going to pass a comprehensive reform, uh, sadly, we're going to have to do it ourselves. Uh, The last time I think the Republicans were genuinely interested in a comprehensive approach was when George W. Bush was president. That tells you how long ago that was. And and, and I would put this in the category of democratic self-criticism. When we have control of the House and the Senate and the White House, we still haven't gotten it done. Uh, and that's on us. Uh, and we're going to have to devote the political capital necessary to getting it done. Uh, I think we take back the House in this election. They're doing such a terrible job of governing in the GOP. I think we take back the House. We are going to fight like the Dickens to hold on to the Senate. And uh, when we're successful... We need to solve this problem. Um, and that's going to require doing away with the filibuster, which is also something I'm going to champion in the Senate. Mm. Um, I would say the first priority ought to be voting rights. Mm. Um, I think that should have been our first priority in the first uh, <laughs> days of the Biden of administration. I would have agreed with you. Because if the foundation isn't strong, the whole edifice can come down. But we need to get immigration done as well. And I'm committed to doing that. Well, this sister writes, I'm very happy he is running. Personally, I'm further left. However, we urgently need Democrats with a great Democratic track record, someone who takes on the Supreme Court and the ability to function in Washington. We also clearly need more options for presidential candidates. This is a way to get there. Congressman Schiff, I'm curious, where does your support come from, from your own internal polling? Like, where do you feel like you still need to make inroads in California? You know, um, our support is very broad, and I'm thrilled with that. Um, We have very strong support among women. We have very strong support among people of color. Uh, We have very strong support among folks who are most active in the political process. Uh, I would say where we are deeply focused is people who aren't really paying attention to politics, uh, who aren't watching the Senate race, uh, who uh, the largest body of people, I think, in the public polls or private polls, Uh, are the category who are undecided, not really paying much attention. And we're trying to reach them in every way we can. Uh, I think I've been in a dozen cities uh, in probably the last week alone, Uh, maybe even more than a dozen. Uh, We are very active on all of the social media platforms. Uh, We are trying to reach people where they live uh, and make myself accessible to them. Um, I've been making multiple, multiple trips to the Central Valley, a place that is often ignored but has intense unmet needs. Uh, and so I think we're doing everything possible that we can communic- to communicate. Um, but, uh, but I think people are responding. Um, and, and I think what they're responding to is, at the end of the day, what Californians want, want to know is who can bring down the cost of housing um, and who can fight to deal with this epidemic of homelessness, who has the ability to work with others to get things done. Uh, others of varying viewpoints, uh, not just within the other party, but also within our own party. Um, who is who's a track record of bringing people together to solve problems? Uh, life is too short, I think, for anything else. And um, look, you know, in our family, we have our own personal experience with with challenges that so many families are going through. I remember when my daughter graduated from college, we went through the same conversation so many parents have with their kids, uh, who maybe not get health care immediately through their employer, and who can't afford the rent and 
Uh, and so many families are having those conversations with their kids, and so many kids are having to uh, take care of their parents because their parents don't have enough of retirement income to take care of themselves. And these are challenges that I can more than relate to from our, own, our family's own uh, experience. Um, you know, I want my daughter to have reproductive freedom. Um, I want my son uh, to graduate from college, not burdened by student debt. And I'm grateful that we can help uh, our kids that way. Mm. But I realize that so many families can't. Um, and and so, you know, from my own personal experience, I, uh, I was buried in debt after I graduated from law school. I borrowed at 9, 12, and 14% interest. Uh, interest rates were high uh, when I went to school, and it took me a decade to pay off those loans. And for that decade, my loan payments were higher than my rent. That's part of my personal lived experience, and I don't want that to be the case for others because I went into a line of work where I could pay it off, but so many people can't. And it's why I'm such a champion of changing the way we finance higher education uh, because um, while I fully support President Biden's efforts to forgive student debt, and I would go further and forgive up to 50000 of debt, that only helps those who are in debt right now. It doesn't help the next generation of students. To help them, we need to change the way we finance higher ed and stop putting the onus on the students to pay for their own uh, opportunities in life. Well, on point, and we're actually only coming to the end of the hour, so only have about 30 seconds, but this listener does write, you touted an endorsement from Nancy Pelosi whose net worth is measured with nine digits. How do you reconcile wealth disparity when those in power are the ultra-wealthy? Uh, look, Nancy Pelosi, I think, has been one of the most powerful champions of children, probably the most powerful champion of children. Uh, she has been one of the most vigorous advocates of a progressive reform of our tax code. Uh, I don't think anyone has done more uh, in our country to protect the rights of women than Nancy Pelosi. Um, and you know, her personal financial circumstances haven't prevented her from understanding and empathizing the challenges facing others and being the most extraordinarily effective, the greatest speaker of all time for working people. Uh, and uh, the, 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 you know, some of our best leaders uh, are the best leaders because they have the ability to empathize. Um, I've always wanted my children to have good health care, and I want everyone's children in California to have good health care. I want my kids to be safe, and I want your kids to be safe. And I'm going to be working up and down the state to make sure that everyone's family has access to a secure retirement, good health care, and a safe neighborhood. Congressman Adam Schiff, thank you. Thank you. Thank you, listeners, for your questions. Thank you, Susie Britton, for producing today's segment. You've been listening to Senate candidate Congressman Adam Schiff. I'm Mina Kim. This is Forum. Funds for the production of KQED's Forum are provided by the John S. and James L. Knight Foundation, the Generosity Foundation, the Germanicos Foundation, and the Heising Simons Foundation. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. 
Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country, we need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.